This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, good morning, Rabbi Sai. So uh, this morning, we're going to start a many-part topic um, regarding one of the greatest disasters that occurred in the last uh, 100, 150 years. Um, and this is a disaster, not a wartime disaster, a peacetime disaster. But we're going to examine it from the Jewish and halachic perspective. But in order to do so, we need to get to, we need to get some of the background uh, history and details. So today's share, which I uh, hope to get hope to get through, no, no, no. Uh, today's share, today's share. I hope to get through the uh, source materials that we have. Um, we have uh, quite a bit, so we want to try to accomplish that today. And that is the Titanic. Um, there's a Hasidic Shayid by the name of uh, Yechiel Goldhaber who wrote a very scholarly work on the uh, Titanic. Actually, the, the Sefer has two parts to it, and the second part is about the Titanic. The, uh, the part about the Titanic he calls Mishpatecha Tehoim Rabbah. Your judgment is the great deep. So um, many halachic shalas arose because of uh, this terrible disaster. But in order to understand uh, the, the halachic ramifications, we have to get the background and the history. Okay, so he gives a little introduction over here. He says, One of the most spoken about disasters in the beginning of the 20th century, a disaster that has no connection to war, was the sinking of the Titanic that happened uh, about 100 years ago. But, you know, by now it's already 105 years or so. Uh, he says, in April 1912, Tafri Shayan Bays, the Titanic so- sunk. How many passengers were there? 2,208 passengers. After La'achar Shehisnagsha. What does Hisnagsha mean? We're going to test out your modern Hebrew today. After it collided, the Karachon... What's a karachon? An iceberg, gadal mimadim, giant, belev hokyonis ho'atlanti, in the heart of the Atlantic Ocean. Tviyas ha-Titanic, the single Titanic, the largest ship in the world in its time, left an indelible oppression and shocked the world. The forces of nature prevailed over technology of the uh, civilization of the time. And an untold number of books, memoirs, and... Uh, were written about this disaster, so we're going to examine it from a halachic perspective, but today we're going to just try to get the historical background, and, um, yes, exactly, right, so, and and we're not going to get the answer to that today, so, but I just hope that by um, whatever we learn today, although it's not technically Talmud Torah, but Heksher Mitzvah, in order to understand, so, so you, you want me to jump the gun. You want to know what shilas are there in a halachic perspective. Well, well, first and foremost, the shilas of Aguna. There were, there were many Jewish passengers. We'll see how many. We'll see what record we have of them. Um, not only Jewish passengers, there were observant passengers from passengers. There were many people emigrating from Russia via England or Ireland to America. And... Um, Many of the men drowned. Now, the, the, most of the survivors were women, and most of those who perished were men. And that was because they had the rule, you know, women first. And that also maybe we'll examine. 
because in halacha it would seem that if you could save the life of a man or a woman, a man takes precedence. So is there any precedence given for a woman in saving a, a woman? You know, this rule, ladies first, is that does that run in uh, contradistinction to halacha? Other shilas. Um, so again, we mentioned uh, iguna. What's the halacha if a man drowns in mayim she'in lahem soif, water that has no end? Um, technically, according to the Gemara, for if a man, if a ship goes down in mayim she'in lahem soif, the woman cannot get married. Even midairaisa, even midairaisa, the woman cannot get married because we're afraid maybe he uh, came up on the other end of the water. If it's a finite amount of water, if it's water you could see the end of, then it's much more lenient because if you didn't see him come up on the other side, so then that means he didn't come up. But Maim Shein Lahem Soif, which you would think is more, should be more lenient, is actually more Chaymer, uh, it's more stringent. So let's get the uh, details of what happened um, historically, and um, hopefully this will give us a better picture of how to apply the halachic principles. Also, many Sifrei Musar were written, uh, actually what lessons you could learn from the uh, Titanic. And um, there are a no- number of other things uh, that we learn as well. Okay, so take a look. You just close the door. In Tarek Poiseach, Rekha History. Here's the, Rekha History means the uh, historical background. Now the, the Titanic, which is a word with the etymologies of a Greek origin, comes from the word Titanos, right, which means giant, was the largest uh, ship ever built in England. It was the second of a trilogy of boats, which were uh, tremendous boats that were built for the White Star Line, Kave HaKochav Halavan. That was the name of the company. Uh, the, the names of the three ships were Olympic, Titanic, and Britannic. Actually, the Britannic was larger than the Titanic, and the Britannic also went down. Anybody know when? In World War One, it hit a mine, and the whole ship sunk. It was a hospital. It was used as a hospital. Okay. It was um, after the Titanic. It was after the Titanic. So can you imagine two out of the three of the largest ships that were built never to be able to sink, Rubam Kukulam sank. Okay. Now the why did they make the Titanic? It was a competition of uh, of companies. There was a different company that was able to produce faster ships, and the owner of the White Star Line figured if you can beat them in speed, beat them in size. Okay. They were both built, all these three boats were built on the latest technology, and they were all considered bilti nitanos litviha. Yeah, impossible to sink. So here we have over here a picture. Now, it's not a picture that I took personally, but this is the, uh, the Haflagami Balafest. This is uh, the, the ship taking sail, departure from Belfast, Ireland, um, where the ship was built. Okay. So, Titanic, it was built to be able to withstand the harsh uh, North Atlantic uh, waters. And therefore, it was made out of 2,000 sheets of Philada. Steel, very good. Yeah, that was you? Very good. Okay, but that's, um, I don't what's think it appears as steel. Gemishim, what's Gemishim? Flexible. It was, it was, it was a, of a flexible material. 
Shlosha million masmaros barzel. Three million nails. Rikua mafalda machabim as achalakim. Three thousand bolts. Now, vehit sevida. I think it means it, must, it was fastened together with the surest technology. Larabas, 15 mechitzos atomos lamayim. 15 compartments, automatic compartments for the water. Through its door system. So this, this ship uh, had the cutting edge technology. Okay. How big was it? Uh, 269 meter. It's 882 feet, 9 inches. About four times as long as a Boeing 747. Rochave Hamarbi, 28 meters. They say it was about 92 feet wide. And the height of it from the bottom to the top was 104 feet. Lesfina Hayu, 29 Dude Kitor. I guess uh, some type of chimney to, to exhale the smoke. It says 29. 23 could reach 23 knots. You needed 58 sailors to, you know, be, throw the uh, charcoal into the... They had 159 ovens. Yeah. Okay, so maximum capacity, 3,547. Luckily, it was not a sellout crowd on that day uh, of the Titanic. Okay. So what does this got to do with halacha? Well, um, one of the innovations of this ship was kosher kitchen. Okay? Titanic. One of the innovations was a kosher kitchen. In order to uh, cater to the needs of the Jews. I'm sure they were able to charge a lot more for that, and I'm sure they had in mind to make money as they always do. Okay. From the year Tafresh Mem Aleph, what's Tafresh Mem Aleph? What do you add to figure out a Hebrew date? Twelve forty, very good. Eighteen eighty one. The in the heels of the pogroms. In the, there's an expression in Hebrew Sofos Anegev for the pogroms of the south, which was in the southwest of uh, Russia. Um, until th- those were uh, pogroms that took place from 18, April 1881 to 1882 in the Ukraine until after the First World War. Higuru. What does Higuru mean? They emigrated. Many Jews emigrated from Russia via Western Europe. How many Jews? Two and a half million Jews emigrated from Russia um, at the end of the 19th century, beginning of the 20th century. As self-understood, most of those Jews were observant Jews. You know, the the effects of assimilation were not as rampant, perhaps, as they are today. So they had the, uh, those creating the ships and the travel means had to provide for Jewish travelers. Okay. So he, he writes over here, First mention of a kosher kitchen was reported in the Trenton Times, June 1901, that the ship, SS Philadelphia, had a kosher kitchen. Interesting. What's a tzi? 
a sea is a ship. Uh, it's said over that one of the sailors of the ship of the uh, boats on the Hamburg America line it said one of the sailors himself was a Jew by the name of Albert Balin, not to be confused with Yaakov Bailish. Yeah, his name was Albert Balin, who it was his idea to have kosher kitchens. Okay, now do we have any evidence that there was a kosher kitchen on the Titanic? Well, not right now. We have Eidos al Matbeach kosher al Titanic So we don't have any too many remnants. You know, they found the wreck of the Titanic about 70 years after it sank in the 80s, and uh, they were not able to find the. Uh, the kosher, uh, any matzo balls floating around in the ocean over there. But, Ulam... No, it said under, yeah. Ulam nosu eidos chios shel matbeach kosha of the Olympic. Right? There were three ships. Right? There is, there is uh, a documentary evidence that there was a kosher kitchen on the Olympic. For example, what did they find? Kamay tiud me'itlas hayhudi, angli. You have a uh, the certificate of the Jew- of the kosher butcher shop. Shasipek es motzare habasar. What's motzare? The, uh, the, uh, the derivation of the, uh, the supplier. That he right that he that um, you have the certificate of the butcher shop that supplied the meat to the white line, white star line. Um, and we have on the certificate the name of the rabbi Machsher. Um, and we also have the menu, and what they served on Wednesday nights and Thursday nights. Umi roshum, and it said on it, You could get kosher food cooked by a Jew. And, oh, I'm going to show you a picture of him soon. You could assume then, Titanic. You could assume the Titanic also had a kosher kitchen. Now, edus muchoshes musparsem the Sakinim, Klay Michael, Kosher Shinoiser Me Hasfina Olympic. Amazingly, they found silverware of the Olympic. And how do they know it's kosher? Because engraved on the silverware, and you'll see right here, are the words Milchuk and Fleshik. If you look very carefully, actually, I have, a, I have a better picture in the Sefer. They found the silverware, and on the silverware, it's engraved. Here, this is very clear. Mem Lamed Chaf Gimel. Here, if you want to pass it around. I don't know, you know. So, Kosher Chalavi Bissari. Okay, now, not only that, on the uh, White Star Line menu for all the customers, on the bottom it said Kosher Meat supplied and cooked for Jewish passengers as desired. Okay. No, so so this menu is you know the general this menu is for the. American uh, shipping company. This is a general menu for all these all the passengers. Okay. Yeah. Now, let's talk about the uh, the rescue boats, which I'm sure you know was uh, insufficient for. The trip. Okay, Lemikre Chirum. What's Chirum? Three. It's Chirum. for emergencies. Svidani Asaberba Esrim Sriyos Hatzala. The boat was equipped with 20 lifeboats. But obviously, it was not enough for all the travelers and all the workers on the boat. 
it was sufficient for about half of them. So we said there are 2208 passengers. There was only uh, enough light bulbs for about half of them. Now you should know, it was more equipped than regulation. In other words, regulations of the time didn't even require them to have as many as they did. Now the, the, re- the main reason why there were so few lifeboats, um, why didn't they bring more? Number one, they said it, it ruins the appearance of the boat. They wanted the boat to have a luxurious look to it, and the lifeboat really ruined uh, the look. And also it would cramp the uh, passengers. And, and the obvious reason why they didn't have is their, their confidence and their arrogance that this was the ship that could not sink was the primary reason that they didn't have uh, enough lifeboats. Okay. Now he writes in the bottom paragraph, Mistaber, just like most natural accidents, it's confidence, it's, it's false, false security that leads to, uh, leads to disaster. Because even when the, the sailor was given the forecast that the iceberg lay right ahead of them, yeah, the sailor dismissed it, the captain dismissed it, and he did not even uh, order that the ship slow down. So in other words, when the captain got the report, you know, iceberg ahead, he did not slow down the ship. Um, why? Because, you know, it's all about, it's all about g- getting, getting uh, to the destination uh, before the report is scheduled. Because of their, their determination to get to New York before the time printed on the cards. And because of that, um, they did not, even bef- before, the, uh, before this, this expedition, they did not go through the, ex- the safety exercises to practice letting down the, uh, the lifeboats and um, practice emergency procedure. Okay, so let's talk about some of the details of the ship. Um, so now you have some pictures of some people um, getting onto the boat. Okay, boarding. Now, Hasfina Hafligabiyam 10, April April 10th, 12 in the afternoon, from the port in Southampton in England. Who was the captain, Rabbi Chavel? Havard Smith. Actually, his name was Edward Smith. He was 62 years old, and he was considered the most experienced and adept sailor of the time. And his plan was to retire after his return to England. Well, you know, he was able, he was forced into early retirement. Okay. Um, after many stops, the boat left on the 11th of April from Queenstown, Ireland, on the way to the port in New York. So the, the ship made a number of stops, and uh, it finally... Um, left Queenstown, Ireland, on the way to New York, with 2,208 passengers, including the workers on the ship. So, 2,208 including the crew? Yeah, including the crew. So, the uh, first class um, tickets, now, the, one of the goals of this ship was to provide luxury at the highest level. This was, you know, sort of the business class, the first class was very luxurious. You could see pictures. Of, they had a gym there with exercise equipment, the latest exercise equipment. They had smoking docks. Whatever you wanted to do, it was available on the ship. So it was uh, very expensive, the first class. And many of the wealthiest people in the world were aboard that ship, including some of the... 
including some of the wealthiest Jews of the time. And including, now many people, people today erroneously think that there were certain wealthy Jews on the ship that were not on the ship. So you have to get the record straight. Who was on the ship? Who was not on the ship? There is a lot of misinformation. Okay. Now, about four days after the Titanic left on the maiden voyage to New York, it was the evening. It was uh, of Sunday night. Um, There's a steeple, there's a... No, uh, no, we don't have any information on that. Um, I doubt it. The 28th day of Nisan, 1912. It was 2340. It was 1140 in the evening, and the sailor realized, um, who was standing on the beak of the ship, what's the word for that? Um, okay, that there is an impending uh, iceberg. Opposite them, directly, you know... Um, 180 degrees. Who divach He he uh, he told the sailor, the navigator, So that they turn the ship to the left, and the ship crashes into the iceberg on the right side. the iceberg ripped a tremendous hole of many many meters and completely gashed five chambers, the five first chambers of the ship on the right side. Okay, so here you have a picture of the uh, ship going down. Um, so what happened? So as soon as the, the emergency was, uh, they were informed of the, of the emergency, and people realized the ship was going down in a number of hours, so the, uh, the satellite navigators or the coast guards sent the SOS to other boats, but, you know, it's the middle of the night, and all of the uh, people who were working the satellites were down for the count. They were all sleeping. And they didn't even read the emergency messages, emergency SOS, emergency telegrams. Um, now, a number of ships who were four hours away, they got the message, but it didn't do the, the passengers any good, um, and there's nothing they could do about it. Okay. So they, they immediately sent word to let down the lifeboats and that people should start going down on them. However, most, not, not, most people did not want to go, leave the security of the luxury liner to go out into the freezing cold waters of the Atlantic Ocean on, on little uh, toy boats that looked like they would uh, fall apart. Um, without, and you have to realize, the horizon was nowhere in sight. There was smack in the middle of the ocean. Okay. Now... Uh, another thing was it wasn't possible for most passengers to get onto these boats only first class because the first class had they they had access to the area where these boats were coming from Um, and interesting and and unfortunately the first lifeboats were only filled to about half capacity 20 to 30 people because most people didn't even have access to get onto these boats second of all the reason why these boats were not full is because uh, the captains called out, you know, men first, men and uh, women and children first. So therefore, m- most men were not given the opportunity to get on. So the first lifeboats were uh, ha- full to half capacity. However, as the ship was sinking, 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 and people realized uh, the boat was going down and there was no hope to stay on, um, oh, the last lifeboats were filled to capacity. Fine. Most people who survived the Titanic were first and second class. 
those who are closest to the siphon. What's the siphon? Must be the top deck. Also, some people in third class were just trapped. They couldn't get out. Okay. The water that pierced into the boat drew the nose of the boat downward. Yeah. And it poured on the the separations that separated the various changers. Now I don't know how this whether this picture makes any sense. Okay. Um, so it started to drown toward the nose and the you know the angle became more dramatic as time passed on at 12 o'clock the water already reached the highest chamber and 10 minutes um, later the, the bottom Lifted up on top of the waters. You know, te- so that means it completely. The propeller was exposed. What? The propeller was exposed. Yeah. Was right, the bottom was already lifted up from the from the water. It got higher and higher. Till the the, uh, the body of the boat could not maintain the weight and it broke. So and now the bottom plummeted into the water until a short time later it rose again. Why? Because it did not completely cut off from the nose that had sunk. Until it began to float on the water. And afterwards uh, it sunk from the weight. And this is what, so it basically went back and forth and back and forth for about two hours and 40 minutes. And at 2.40 at night, 15th day of April, the Titanic made its final plunge into to the ocean floor. So they sent out many lifeboats, the Hemshech Halayla, the Hashkem and they only saved a few of those people who drowned. Most of those who sunk, about 1,496 people Drowned in the icy waters forever. Only 712 people were saved. So about 25 percent. About a third. Yeah. Two thousand two hundred and eight. About a third. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I can't tell you. Besides the people on the lifeboats, I don't know how many other people were saved. Okay. Well, as soon as the accident and as soon as this disaster um, became known in New York, so the Jews gathered together various organizations, Sadak of Chesed, in order to uh, assist those who were saved. 
So they, um, they immediately opened up the Beis HaKnesses Archim in New York, and that's where the survivors stayed. They, they had a, a shul, which was, con- which was called Beis HaKnesses Archim. How far from New York? I don't know. Hundreds of miles. It's smack in the middle of the, uh, the North Atlantic. It was four days, no, four, four days of, uh, yeah, four days, it was only four days a, um, after they left uh, Ireland. Okay, so uh, there's no, no need to say that this was a uh, disaster that shook up the world. You know, here you have the sturdiest ship ever created, the ship that cannot drown, um, and it did. It was the cutting edge of technology. And uh, immediately, um, This has sort of captured the imagination of scientists and uh, researchers and, and detectives. Whatever technology was available at the time was used to investigate what happened. Even the Jewish newspapers, now that, you know, the Jewish newspapers love a story like this. Um, they joined in on it. Um, obviously, they viewed it from the Jewish perspective. In other words, the, there was no official count of how many Jews were on the on the ship, it was just assumed that there were a large number of Jews on the ship, despite the fact that uh, we don't know exactly how much. And I'm sure um, that boat wasn't cheap so you have over here a report from the Jewish advocate that was printed in Boston, and it's you know its headline that week was "Many Jews were passengers on ill-fated SS Titanic." Um, they wrote, Yehudim Ram Hayu Bein Noisei Sfinas Ategane Chasar Samazel. No kidding, Chasar Samazel. The the Jewish Chronicle of England, its headline was claimed as victims many of our people. Okay. Now, how are we going to figure out whether in fact they were Jews and what happened to them? So, by the way, here we have a picture of the, the Jewish cook on the uh, Titanic, and we even have a picture of the Mashkiach, okay, who is wearing, Baruch Hashem, a black hat, so you were able to eat there. Okay. Um, when you purchase your ticket, so people filled out, you know, their, their details, but they, they wouldn't write their nationality, and they, they wouldn't uh, write who they belong to. Um... So therefore, besides about two-thirds of the Jews who were well-known because of their personalities, to, to know, to figure out exactly how many Jews are on the boat um, and examine, you know, it's not so easy to figure out how many Jews are on the boat just based on their names, but some of the names that we do find on the boat were Rosenbaum, probably was not uh, Italian, right? Klein, Goldenberg, Harris, Clover, Meyer, Solomon... Weiss? Weiss is a, a Yiddish and Numen. More than this, 
there was a Jewish butcher and um, Jewish kitchen. And here we have the picture of the Jewish cook and the mashkiach tamidi on premises. Uh, yeah, obviously, yeah. Right, because you said before we only yeah, 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 okay. So, the first knowledge that we had um, regarding the wealthy people that were on the boat, so for the first information they had was there were two multi-millionaire Jews, and multi-millionaire even back then, who were on this ship. The first one was Isidore Strauss. Who is the Isidore Strauss, who is the brother of Nathan Strauss. Nathan Strauss was a famous Jewish philanthropist at the beginning of the twentieth century. And the other other one's name was Benjamin Benjamin Guggenheim. They were both Ashirim Muflagim, who Nebuch, they both their lives were cut short and they died. Even though they were traveling first, they didn't get on the boat. Um, and we'll, we'll see, they had the opportunity to get on the boat. Um, so the Jewish newspapers, uh, they, they were the first to, the, when they reported, the first thing reported was um, the death of these two individuals, Isidore Strauss and Benjamin Guggenheim. And they reported on their heroism that they did not push themselves onto the lifeboats and they died. Um, and, you know, the Jewish newspapers promoted the fact that the reason they didn't uh, push their way on was uh, because of their Jewish values. And we'll have to examine, in fact, whether these are Jewish values or, or maybe it's not even the correct thing to do. Because in other words, even the Gemara that says that you save a man before a woman, can a woman say, okay, that's you, the Savior's halacha, to save him before me. But me, I'm entitled to jump onto the boat before him. And that's probably true. So even though the, if, if someone's in a position to save only one person, they have to save, we need a new battery, to save the... the um, Um, as we mentioned, even though the halachas you save the man before the woman, the woman is entitled, maybe required, to to save her own skin. Okay. Um, so he says, Oye, Cheney, Hudem Henry Harris from New York, another two rich Jewish uh, Jews, Henry Harris, and Emil Brandeis from Nebraska. When they found the bodies of Isidore and Ida Strauss, so this became a, you know, a tremendous report throughout the world. Now, Kedarkam Shalitonium Haroshim Savas Super Masir, like the, as is natural for uh, uh, the papers who they, they like a uh, scandal, all the, all the newspapers in the world, everyone's gathering as much information as possible. Yedia Itonios Shulis. Divcha Yelid Lodge. 
So the newspapers began to report um, a very terrible news that one of the technicians of this boat was a Jew. So now, you know, now we could blame the Jews for the... And he was on the boat. And he sabotaged the boat. But he didn't make it mysteriously onto the maiden journey. So... Uh, oh. He stood up. Fake news. Okay. So as soon as this news came out, um, we'll see, you know what, we'll continue with this next time, whether in fact this piece of information was true. Just we'll end. Um, you have a picture on the bottom left hand of, of some of the Jews that were saved through the Jewish uh, Institute in New York. Here you have a picture of some of the survivors. You'll notice they're all women and children because not too many men uh, were saved. And unfortunately, unfortunately on the bottom... You have actually a section in the cemetery in Halifax of yes, I think it was closer to the uh, to the other end to Europe than it was to America in Canada, no? Yeah, yeah. And then Marvarabaisai on the on the back half of the uh, of your sheets, you have Matsevois. First of all, you have a Matseva of somebody, Yaakov Birnbaum from Antwerpen. And if you look on the top of his kever, they carved out an image of the Titanic on the, on the kever of this uh, Yid, Nebuch, Yaakov Birnbaum. And then finally, there is, a survivor, uh, there is somebody who perished on the Titanic whose, uh, whose gravestone lays right here in the neighborhood in Queens. His name is Sinai Cantor. And he's married in Mount Zion. He was, he was buried in Yalaf Iyar, 1912. His name was uh, Shmuel Mendel Kanter. And uh, on, his, on his kever, I'll read to you the words. Let's see if I can find it. It says, Po Nitzman HaKadosh. Sinai Shmuel and the Cantor Shetom Sos Yam Imanias Titanic. That's what it says on the. Uh, so you see, the fact that they died on this ship actually caused a certain stir in uh, in the minds and the hearts of their relatives that this is something that they would write on their matseva. Okay, he's Zichron Baruch, and we'll see Mertz Hashem upcoming Shurim what the what the halachic ramifications of this voyage was. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.